I want you to open your Bibles to Nehemiah chapter 2. In Nehemiah chapter 1 last week, we talked about a burdened God searches for burdened believers. A burdened God searches for burdened believers. And so we recognize that Nehemiah is overwhelmed at the status of the city of Jerusalem and the people of God and being able to worship. And he gets word back because he's living in exile and he is a cupbearer to the king, the king of Persia. His name is Artaxerxes. He goes in and, and hears this information and the, what drives him, what, what, what happens to him is he goes to the Lord in prayer. And prayer is a key theme in the life of our church this year. We started in January with a series titled Prayer, The Road Less Traveled, realizing that that is a lot of, that is a discipline that is necessary of those who call themselves disciples, and it is something that we must fight for and continue to fight for about being a people of prayer. And a lot of times, the Lord brings up themes in the messages that we teach that I think are really, really important. And so here we are in January, in January we did that whole lesson on prayer, four weeks of that, and now we come into the book of Nehemiah looking at the church coming together for the glory of God, the work of God, the mission of God, and he brings us to an individual who is an ordinary man named Nehemiah, and he is praying, and he's calling on God, the sovereign God of the universe, to bring the people of God together so that they can be about what they're supposed to be about. And I don't know about you, but you've probably have taken a look at your own prayer life, and you can sit there and say, wow, prayer is really difficult. Last week, I quoted uh, someone, and I said, the question was, is, is prayer, how does prayer work? That's what they said, is how does prayer work? And uh, the answer was, I don't know how prayer works, but I know that prayer is work. I don't know how prayer works, but I know that prayer is work. And I know that you and, and I have been really uh, looking through the text over the last four months over the things that we've been speaking on, and this discipline definitely comes up. I know that maybe some of you have prayed for this or prayed for that or prayed for a job situation, a family reconciliation, whatever the case might be. We're all continuing to pray. I remember a situation where I prayed for someone at Chick-fil-A. Now, it was a football game. It was a particular football game for my boys, and it was a devastating loss in flag football. How does the Lord heal you through a devastating loss at flag football? Of course, Chick-fil-A, right? I mean, that's what you do. And so we went to Chick-fil-A on Harrison Avenue, and we were there. We walked into the restaurant. It was packed. It was a Saturday afternoon. Sports teams were everywhere. We walked in there, and all of a sudden, this guy came up to me, and he said, Hey, man, I've got a gift card, and I want you to use my gift card to pay for your meal, and whatever change is left over, I'd like for you to give it to me. He does not know that I have a family of six, and I don't care how much was on that gift card, he was not going to get a lot of money. <laughs> so I said, hey, why don't we go outside and let's talk about what's going on. And so we went outside. He just said, yeah, man, I'm just, you know, I just need some cash. I need some cash. And, and I'm going to be very honest. I, I smelled a very strong sense of alcohol on his breath. And I just said, let, let me share with you the greatest message that's ever been told in the world. I don't know if you've ever heard about a God in heaven who loved you. You know, he proved that to you by sending you Christ Jesus who died on the cross so that you could be set free from any sin, any sin, past, present, and future. Have you ever heard that before? And he said, yeah, yeah, I've heard that before. Just made some bad decisions. And I said, listen, I'm gonna give you this $10 right here, but before I do that, I wanna pray for you. Now, what I'm getting ready to say, I'm asking you please not to judge me <laughs> while I pray. But in my prayer, I pray that he would know Jesus. 
I prayed that he would be right with God. I prayed that if he drank alcohol or anything that would hurt himself, that he would be sick as a dog. And I prayed that in my prayer. I literally prayed, God, if he uses this money for anything to hurt himself, will you make him sick? And I said, in Jesus' name, amen. He looked at me and he said, oh, man, can, can you reverse that? Can you, can you, come on, man, come on, can't you, can't you take that one back? We had, we had a great conversation about making good decisions that day. Maybe you've had a situation with prayer that brings some light and humor to the discipline of prayer, but I want to let you know something. We have before us in the book of Nehemiah someone who can encourage us and shed light on this beautiful, beautiful discipline of calling on a sovereign God to do what we can never do. And we have full access to him. We have full access to be able to communicate and to talk to him and to ask him to do what we can never do. And it is beautiful. And Nehemiah demonstrates that. And he prays and he prays. And we see him praying all throughout this book. He prays 11 times in this book. So we saw last week how he just comes and he prays to the sovereign God of the universe Verse 11 comes down, he says, Lord, now please give your servant success in the sight of the king. He's asking, I want to be a part of your plan. I want to be a part of it, but I'm asking you to give me success as I go before the king. And then chapter two is basically we see an answer to his prayer. And so what I want us to do, I want us to go ahead and jump into chapter two. We'll read a little bit and then we'll make some observations here at the end. Again, remember Verse 11 of chapter 1, he, actually, he prays, God, give me success before the king. My city lies in ruins. The walls are taken down. The people are discouraged. I've gotten word. I'm asking you to do something, but I'm really asking, God, I'm ready to be a part of that answer. I'm ready to be a part of the answer that I am praying. And so let's jump in to chapter 2, starting in verse 1. Here's what it says. In the month of In the month of Nicene, which I want to make sure you know that that is March or April. So when the, in chapter one, we know that he was praying in Chislev, which is November or December. So we know that it's been four months since chapter one ended and chapter two begins. In the 20th year of King Artaxerxes, when wine was before him, I took up the wine, gave it to the king. Now I had not been sad in his presence. And the king said to me, why is your face so sad, seeing you are not sick? This is nothing but sadness of heart. Then I was very much afraid. Nehemiah is a cupbearer to the king. It is very important that if you do some study about this, we find out that King Artaxerxes' father was killed because someone had poisoned him. If you are acting a little, shall we say, sketchy around the king as the cupbearer, then your life as the cupbearer could be at stake. Nehemiah, not looking sad, as what was said in the the text, is acting, he sees some things. He sees um, some things that are happening. The king looks at him and says, wow, you are sad of heart. What I would like to point out to you is that when God tries to orchestrate his plan, not only is he working in our life, but he's working in everybody's life around it to make it happen. And here is a pagan king, King Artaxerxes, a king in Persia, and he brings up this observation. Verse three, I said to the king, let the king live forever. 
That is a declaration that I acknowledge that you are the king. I acknowledge your role. But I also want to let you know there is nothing in the goblet, the wine goblet, and there is nothing in that casserole. It's all clean. You're not going to die. That's his way of saying the king live forever. You're, you're not going to die. I'm standing here. And then Nehemiah answers him in the rest of verse 3. Why should not my face be sad when the city, the place of my father's graves, lies in ruins and its gates have been destroyed by fire? So you can see the work of God in his life has preparing Nehemiah his entire life for this moment at this time. The king recognizes that you are sad. He recognizes that something is not right, something is, not, is off. It is also important to know that the king and the cupbearer don't normally have these kinds of relationships or interaction. I believe it's the movement of God even for them to even have this interaction and this conversation. Because that's usually not what would take place in the palace or the, or the, the royal court among a king. So Nehemiah comes with this boldness and he tells the king why he said. Verse four, please see the hand of God. Here it is. Then the king said to me, what are you requesting? This had to completely blow Nehemiah away. He's praying, he is burdened, and the king says, well, what do you want to do about it? That has to be, Proverbs 21, one says this, the king's heart is like channels of water in the hand of the Lord. He turns it wherever he wishes. That's who we serve. And then what does Nehemiah, how does he respond? Listen, just underline this and circle this. It says, so I prayed to the God of heaven. Oh my gosh, this is a moment I've been praying for my entire life. It is on me. It is in front of me. What am I going to do? The first thing he does is he doesn't go to the king and ask for a request. He goes to his king and he prays. Now, it's not a very long prayer. I have a quote for you about prayer. It says, a short prayer is best preceded by consistent praying. The key to effective praying before God is not the length, but the loyalty. When you walk with God moment by moment, every day of the week, you don't have to say very much in those 911 moments of life. Nehemiah demonstrates that to us right now. Let's look at verse five. Verse five says this, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, and if your servant has found favor in your sight, that you send me to Judah, request number one. So the king says, what do you want? Nehemiah says, here's what I want. Here's request number one. I want you to send me to Judah. I want to go back. I'm 800 miles away. I want to go back to the city of my father's graves. Number two, the, the second request, that I may rebuild it. I want to go back into the city and I want to rebuild it. That's the second request. Verse six, and the king said to me, the queen sitting beside him, how long will you be gone and when will you return? So it pleased the king to send me when I had given him a time. We don't know how much time Nehemiah said that he would be gone, but they did say that they talked about it, they agreed upon it, and the king had given him permission. Well, Nehemiah keeps going. So he's gotten a request. I want to go to Judah, and I want to go rebuild the city and the city wall specifically. Verse 7, and I said to the king, if it pleases the king, let letters be given to the governors. That's request number three. I'm going to be going into this city. I'm going to be going from where we are all the way into Judea, Jerusalem, and it's 800 miles, and I'm going to be passing through. I need to make sure that I have permission to do that. 
Will you write letters to allow me to go? So that's the third request. Of the province beyond the river, that they may let me pass through until I come to Judah. Verse 8. And a letter to Asaph, the keeper of the king's forest, that he may give me timber. There is request number four. So I want you to let me go to Judah. I want to rebuild. I want to have letters that are going to let me get through. But also this, if I'm going to rebuild, I need some supplies. And Nehemiah says, I, I, I need to be able to have that really nice wood to be able to build those gates that we're going to build. Because they're going to create and create safety among the wall. And the king granted me what I asked for. Please don't forget this next part right here. For the good hand of my God was upon me. There is a recognition of Nehemiah that none of this takes place outside of the filter of God's plan and his providence. He comes to the king as a cupbearer that day and he leaves as the project manager of a major rebuilding effort of the worship for the, for the worship of the people of God. And what does he say? He doesn't take credit for himself. He recognizes very clearly that none of this happens but through God. He also recognizes that this is simply an answer to his prayer in verse 11, as we said before. Here's a quote for you. It was not because Nehemiah was smart, but because God was sovereign. It was not because Nehemiah was great, but God was gracious. Verse 9. Then I said to the governors of the province beyond the river and gave them the king's letters. Now the king had sent with me officers of the army and horsemen. So Nehemiah had given all these four requests. He'd given us four requests. And then the king said, wait a minute, wait a minute. What I'm going to do is I'm going to give you guards, an entourage of people to get you to where you need to go. Because, listen, it's a foreshadow of what God does in and through us. He gives us more than we can ask, imagine, in our lifetime. And so he gives more as the king did in this situation. Verse 10. But when Sinbalat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant heard this, it displeased them greatly. Who does, how does he refer to himself? That someone had come to seek the welfare of the people of Israel. If you have your journals, I would circle that word someone and I would remind yourself of it that the humility of this man is demonstrated and can be used to help us in our glory, in our sanctification, in our discipleship of King Jesus because Nehemiah is doing all these things. He's given this responsibility and he looks at him and he says, I'm just someone. I'm just someone. And that's what God does that demonstrates the power of God when he takes a bunch of someones and does something unbelievable because that's what he does every single day. Many times we consider and say, well, I can't do this or I can't do that or I don't do this or I don't do that. Here's what Nehemiah demonstrates to us. Be available Engage the king of the universe and let him do something magnificent in your life and he gets all the glory and all the credit. Philippians 1.6, he who began a good work in you will see it through to completion. That is a message to the church. That is the message to us as individuals. He who began will see it through to the day of completion in Christ Jesus. Nehemiah just says, hey, I'm, I'm, I'm not a CEO. I'm not the CFO. Yeah, I might be a spokesman here, but I'm just someone. That encourages me greatly. Verse 11, so I went to Jerusalem. I was there three days. Then I arose in the night, I and a few men with me. I told 
no one what my God had put into my heart to do for Jerusalem. There was no animal with me but the one on which I rode. Many times what happens is that when we get a green light from God, we rush in before we have all of the information. Nehemiah right now, really what he's doing is he's gathering, I'll use a military term, he's gathering the intel. He's gathering the information. He's trying to figure out, hey, how was, what's the morale of the people? What's the status of the wall? What are we up against? Certainly God said, yes, you can do this. He used this king to give him all the supplies, the letter, the permission. But he's gathering all of the information to figure out, okay, what are we up against and what needs to be done? If we read the book of Haggai, when they came in to rebuild the temple, they were going to rebuild it in the, in the view of Solomon's temple and its grandeur and magnificence. And I believe when, when Nehemiah came to evaluate the temple and see where it was, there were some things that changed about the rebuilding effort. How do we know that? Because in the book of Haggai, they were making fun of them that were rebuilding because they said it doesn't look like Solomon's temple and trying to distract them, trying to get them to stop working. And so I believe what was going on right here, the text says in studying, it basically what they're doing is Nehemiah is just getting all the information ready so that they can do the work of God for the glory of God. And the people can worship. So verse 13 here, it says, I went out by night by the valley gate to the dragon spring and to the dung gate. No explanation what that gate is. And I inspected the walls of Jerusalem that were broken down and its gates that had been destroyed by fire. Then I went to the fountain gate and the king's pool, but there was no room for the animal that was under me to pass. Then I went up into the night by the valley and inspected the wall, and I turned back and entered the valley gate and so returned. And the officials did not know where I had gone or what I was doing, and I had not yet told the Jews, the priests, the nobles, the officials, and the rest who were to do the work. And so again, he's gathering all of his information, letting us know through. How are we going to accomplish the goal by which set before us? Verse 17. Then I said to them, you see the trouble we are in, how Jerusalem lies in ruins with its gates burned. So here is Nehemiah. He goes out, he investigates, doesn't tell anybody, doesn't get persuaded. He's going out and getting all the information. He gathers the people that have been in the city and they've not been working on the temple because they're apathetic, they're frustrated, they're confused, and they, they believe possibly that God is not listening to them or God does not hear them or, or God doesn't care. Have you been there? So Nehemiah gathers all the information and then he comes and he gathers the people together. And I'm gonna tell you something. I have been in ministry for 20 years now and when you go and you do ministry right now, one of the things that you're taught to do as a communicator is you work on the preparation, you work and you prepare, and then you work on the presentation and you do that. And I wanna tell you right now, Nehemiah just shamed it all right here. What does he do? He's prepared, yes. He gives the shortest sermon in all of the world and all of you said amen, right? He just basically comes up in verse 17. Look at what he says in 17, the second part. Come, let us build the wall of Jerusalem that we may no longer suffer derision. Then here's the second point of his message. Verse 18, and I told them of the hand of my God that had been upon me for good and also the words 
that the king had spoken to me. And here's their response. And they said, let us rise up and build. So they gathered their hands for the good work. It's unbelievable to sit here and take a look at this beautiful message where he gathers them together and he says, let us. I don't want you to ever miss, miss that part of Nehemiah's lesson when he says, hey, let us. He's one of them. He's an ordinary follower of God who God is going to do extraordinary things through. And that's really encouraging. Verse 19, anytime we attempt to do something for God, there will be opposition. Please don't forget that. Christians get cancer, Christians die. Just because we call in the name of Jesus doesn't mean we are exempt from oppression or problems or situations. And we're gonna pick that up next week in chapter four when we see about the discouragement that they come against. So let's read verse 19. It says, when Sanballat the Horonite and Tobiah the Ammonite servant and Geshem the Arab heard of it, they jeered at us and despised us and said, what is this thing that you were doing? Are you rebelling against the king? So Sanballat is the governor of Samaria. Tobiah is the ruler of Ammon and Geshem, and his sons ruled the Arab nations. They are enemies of God. And what happens when they come in to start rebuilding the temple, they look at him and say, hey, hey, hey. They start making fun of him, start causing them to, be, to doubt themselves, or at least to try. And then verse 20, here's what Nehemiah responds to their jeers and their comments. Then I replied to them, here it is, the God of heaven will make us prosper and we, his servants, will rise and build. But you have no portion or right or claim in Jerusalem. And I would say, thus saith the Lord. He lays that down with him right there, that there is a God in heaven who's going to see all this thing through. I saw how God moved and how he changed. I saw how he changed the people. I saw how he changed the king. And so there's three things that I want us to see right now that I hope will sort of summarize where we are and what we're learning. There's three points. Number one, God is as much interested in doing something in us as he is in doing something through us. And so what I want you to know is that Nehemiah, let's just say for the fact that he might be 20 years old. We know that for four months, he has been pouring out his heart. Basically, God, help me to be successful. He's had encounters with the king in the last four months specifically, but even for his entire life. And what I want us to see is that sometimes in the midst of those delays of what we want to do and we want God to do in us and through us, that we must not miss that he is doing something through us for his glory and our good, and we cannot miss that. Nehemiah did what he was doing and going to do what he was going to do because of that waiting period that God had him in and was teaching him and molding him and bringing him to be who he was supposed to be. Priscilla Schreier is a author, writer, actor. Many of our women have seen some of her videos. Many of you guys have seen. She's an incredible, incredible communicator. She is the daughter of Tony Evans, a pastor in Dallas, Texas. She's 24 years old. She wants to have a ministry to reach women with the gospel of Jesus. She writes Anne Graham Lotz. Everybody knows who Anne Graham Lotz, Billy Graham's daughter who lives right here in Raleigh. She wrote Anne Graham and said, can I work under you? And she got to work under Anne Graham as a 24-year-old young woman and said, I want to create a ministry 
how do I start? And she says, you just sit and you wait on the timing of God. He'll bring it to pass. But in that waiting, you be ready for what he wants to do in you before he does something through you. And I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you that that moment of waiting, whatever the case might be in your life, it is for his glory. It is for your good. Don't shortcut it. Let us not shortcut those moments. Psalm 69.3 says this, I am weary with my crying. My throat is parched. My eyes fail when I wait for my God. Psalm 62.1 says, My soul waits in silence for God only, for in him is my salvation. Nehemiah, listen to me, from the beginning of his life to this moment right now, he's in the right place at the right time, learning the right thing for the glory of God. Here's a quote for you right now. For all he knew, God had forgotten him and his people. For years, his prayers had seemingly gone unanswered. He saw no improvement, nor hope of improvement. Every day was basically the same. His leadership skills, his leadership gifts, and organizational skills lay dormant as he served the king month after month. Don't miss this. But God had Nehemiah right where he wanted him. And there are those moments in time where we just go, God, you have me where I want you. I was reading this week and came across five prayers to pray in the midst of silence. And I thought that Nehemiah had come to this place and you see him coming out where God is speaking and God is using and God is moving. And I thought that these would be encouraging points for us. And so here are five prayers in the midst of waiting. Number one, pray that God, you would strengthen me to wait patiently that you would strengthen me to wait patiently. Number two, God awaken me to the glory of today. Because many times we're waiting for tomorrow, but when he's saying, hey, listen, I don't want you to miss what I'm going to do, what I am doing right here and right now. I don't want you to miss it. I want you to see it. And so we pray in the midst of waiting, in the midst of silence, God awaken me to the glory of today. And then number three, keep me from foolish shortcuts. God, as I live for you and as I proclaim you and as I walk with you, will you please just allow me not to get ahead of you or take things into my hands? So prevent me from having foolish shortcuts. And then number four, God, make me want the future you have for me. As I sit here and I wrestle with what you're doing and the silence that you might be experiencing the prayer is, God, I'm praying that you would allow me to want what you want for me. And then finally, I want you to hear this prayer, is that, God, I would pray that you would remind me of what I truly am waiting for, and that is the return of King Jesus. So as I sit here and I wait, ultimately what I'm waiting for is I'm waiting for you to return, I'm waiting for the heavens to open up, for him to call people, whatever view you have on that right now, we we'll are not get into that right now, but what I'm just saying is he's coming back. I hope you know that. He's coming back. And all of this right now, all of this, is to get us ready for that day when he does come back. And so ultimately, when we sit there and we're waiting on you to come, let us truly wait for what you really will do, and that is for the second coming of Christ and him to come and dwell. You see, he, he is overwhelmed right now. He is completely overwhelmed by what's going on in his life. The second 
thing that I want you to see is this, is that faith in God is simply an expression of our confidence in God. As I'm studying this week, I could not get over the several times throughout the text where Nehemiah was so locked into the source of his encouragement. I can tell you this right now, that there are many times where you're like, oh, you do something, you do something good, and all of a sudden you can brag on those things, you can talk about those things, you can be encouraged by those things, and you, you talk about them to other people. Here is Nehemiah, and every single chance that he gets in the midst of that, he said in verse 8 that the good hand of God was upon me. Verse 18, the hand of my God. And I told him that the hand of my God had been on me for good. Verse 20, the God of heaven will make us prosper. Faith in God is an expression of our confidence in him. God, there is no one like you. And Nehemiah is just in the center of that to demonstrate to you and I that that's what it can look like. A true, true confidence and a true warning of what happens when we believe that we are all that and then some. Success often leads to self-sufficiency. That it's all about me and it's all for me. And success should never shift us from a life of dependence to a life of independence. And Nehemiah modeled that to us. He certainly is not a hero or someone to be worshipped, but he is someone that we can learn from. So faith in God is simply an expression of our confidence in God. So the last thing I want you to see in our time together this morning in chapter two is simply a question. What do you see? What do you see? What do you mean by that? Here, here's, here's what's going on right now. Nehemiah has come up to this point, been praying, been praying, been praying, been praying. He's been reading the word. We know that in chapter one, when he prays, he quotes the word of God. So we know that the word of God and prayer has shaped his devotion to God. It has shaped him, it has modeled him, and it has got him ready for this moment right here. And I think all of that took place, and it gave Nehemiah not a dream, but a vision of what things could be. What things would look like when the wall is restored, when, when the temple is restored, when they're rebuilding with the word of God, when the people of God are coming together and they're inside the temple and they're safe and they're worshiping and they're proclaiming God and they're serving him and loving him and being used of him and serving other people. I believe what Nehemiah could see is he could see that. And that burden was so great and that opportunity was so great that that's what he went a part of. If you take a look in our history of the Bible, we take a look at Moses. Moses was responsible for leading people out of Egypt. They got onto the edge of the promised land. He had 12 spies. 10 of them went, looked at it, and said, uh, no way. Not going to do that. Saw that. Saw that it was bad. Saw that it was too big to handle. They couldn't do that. What did they see? They did not see the bigness of God. They saw the limitations they saw the sin. They saw, we can't go in there. You know what they said? It's better to go back to Egypt. They wandered for 40 years. All the doubters died. Joshua comes to lead them into the promised land. He's 85 years old. But what he saw and what Caleb saw 40 years early before the wandering is they saw what could be. They didn't see the city for what it is. They saw for what it could be. And that's what God does when he looks at you and when he looks at me. He doesn't see us for who we are. He looks at us for who we can be. And every bit of our life is training us to be that person that he's created us to be. 
And so I'm asking the question in regards to our church, in regards to Northwest Community Church, I'm asking you this question, what do you see? I've got some questions that maybe will help direct us a little bit. Do you see a massive movement of prayer in our midst? Do you see an insatiable appetite for the word of God among us? Do you see disciples who are making disciples? Do you see your neighbor this year coming to faith in Christ? Do you see a prayer group that might be started at your office or a Bible study? Do you see marriages that are restored in our midst by people whose marriages were a wreck and now they are helping other people find reconciliation through Christ? Do you see salvation in baptisms happening consistently Do you see diversity here? Do you see yourself sharing the gospel with someone this year, maybe for the first time ever in your life? Do you see a vulnerable community of confession of of repentant sin? Do you see the people that we will serve? Do you see the people that will be serving? Do you see the church coming together for the glory of God, for the work of God, And do you see that happening together? Let me ask you finally, do you believe and do you see how big God is? I do. And I see all of it. I look at Nehemiah and I'm looking at him and I'm just going out there and I'm saying, man, he had a massive view of God. It was huge. He kept coming back to, this is God, this is God, this is God. He believed God could do this. He changed the heart of the king who made a decree and said, you cannot rebuild that temple anymore. And God put him before that king and God changed his heart and allowed Nehemiah to go back in there. Nehemiah could see the things that God was seeing for his city and he went after it. Will you go after it too? What do you see? I pray that we would be able to see like Nehemiah could see a group of people, a disciples who are making disciples, going after people through gospel transformation, one home at a time, for his namesake, for his glory, for our good, because he's so big. Nehemiah demonstrated his belief in a big God, and he was doing his part. Next week, we're gonna find out how we can do our part for his glory. I love you guys. Happy Mother's Day to all the moms. May we be able to see what God will do in and among us for his name's sake. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for this day and I thank you for the opportunity to be able to speak and uh, to get up here and to be able to talk about Nehemiah chapter two. I thank you for Nehemiah's view of God. I thank you for his view of you. I thank you that he was so overwhelmed at what you could do. I think in the silence of the time and you used the word to show him who you were. You used his prayers to convince him and then Lord, you brought it all together. So Lord, I pray that as we walk through this book together that um, you will do just that. You will bring us together. That Lord, that there will be a massive movement of prayer among our midst, not just Monday at the one the first of the month at the office, but the Lord, there will be a movement of prayer in our services and outside of our services. 
that there will be people that will be actively serving and sharing the gospel on a regular basis, that we will have stories to tell of how good and how big you are and what you did. All credit, all credit goes to you. So Lord, move among us. Do as you please. Help us to come to grips with who we are and realize that you have sovereignly positioned and placed us right here, right now, for your glory. We love you. We thank you. May you use these songs as we sing to be an honor to you. And it's in Jesus' name that I pray.